the end of this week, I had the opportunity of going to see my parents. And Thursday night, uh, I was visiting with my father. And um, he was talking about memories he had as a small boy in church. I was kind of a little bit surprised because kind of what I had always been told is that his parents didn't go to church. And I said, Daddy, what are you, what are you talking about? And this is the story he told me, which I'd never heard before. He said, uh, well, my, my grandfather uh, uh, worked in the oil field. He was aroused about. And I think in time, he eventually became um, the foreman or over a, a crew. But so they, they moved around Oklahoma, North Texas. And my dad said when he was about eight, they moved to Odessa. And uh, they lived in an oil field camp outside of Odessa. And he said there were five little houses there that the crew lived at and I can just imagine I don't know I, I just envision kind of wooden shotgun houses out there at the ends of the earth outside of Odessa and uh, he said one of the men and he named the man's name his first name and his last name he said he lived in one of those houses and he said he came and he asked my parents if he could take me and my sister to church so my dad's about eight or nine at this point my aunt June was a couple years younger than my dad uh, Jennifer Gross's dad Alan was about 12 years younger than my dad so when was Alan born what year 40 so he was maybe a baby because this was the early 40s <laughs> uh, but this man in the oil field camp asked if he could take my dad and my aunt to church and so my dad said he picked us up and took us into Odessa every Sunday he said so there was a time as a boy he said I was in church every Sunday Sunday school church and this is the story my dad told me I'd never heard before he said uh, I was about nine or ten and he said uh, one Sunday an evangelist came and they gathered up all the kids during the Sunday school hour and the evangelist shared the gospel with us kids and my dad said, I gave my life to Jesus. He said, very vivid memory. I, I know what Jesus did. And, uh, you know, kind of, it kind of took me back because I just remember the story that my dad wasn't baptized until he was in his 20s. And uh, kind of shame on me, the Baptist preacher's son ought to know these things. He said, no, I was, I was saved when I was about nine or ten. An evangelist came to church and 
Mr. Sam Jones or whatever his name was had taken us all that time to church and one of those Sundays I heard the gospel and I gave my life to Jesus and um, you know I'd always I'd always thought of my spiritual heritage coming from my mother's side of the family because kind of what I've been told is my my father's parents never went to church and um, I always trace my spiritual heritage through my my mother's father who Jesus delivered from alcohol and he became a Christian and met my grandmother a Christian woman and they established a Christian home that raised my mother and then uh, in 1957 as life turns out my mother and father cross in Odessa Texas my dad had left a decade before that but had come back to work in the oil field and uh, in the fall of 57 they met and as Christians and I think the real story is my mother insisted that he get baptized you know before they got married and so anyhow that was that was the story um, but you know so I'd always trace my spiritual heritage through my mother's side of the family and I found out this week that that's only half the story because there was a Christian man who saw two little kids who didn't go to church. And he had the courage to go and talk to their mom and dad to say, could I take your kids to church with me? I, let's just be honest. Little oil field trash kids whose daddy was aroused about and they moved around. But a Christian man that cared enough. And I realized Mr. Sam Jones or whatever his name was never knew he probably never knew uh, the impact and the sequence of events that unfolded uh, and how my dad would meet a Christian woman and they would establish a Christian home and they would raise us kids to, to love Jesus and to love missions. <laughs> Did I mention love Jesus? Yeah. And... Uh, Several in my generation end up in ministry and several of my parents' grandchildren are now in missions and in ministry. And at least part of the story traces back to a Christian man who cared enough about two little oil field trash kids to take them to church every Sunday. Um, I've cried about that story this week. I don't know, I was kind of overcome on the drive home from Little Rock Friday just thinking about that man. And uh, But the tears I shed are tears of joy that somebody loved Jesus enough to do that. And it made a difference in my life. And let's just be honest, it's partly the reason I stand before you today. Um... And what I want to share this morning is that there is joy in investing in others. There is joy in investing in others. We've been tracing uh, 
through Paul's letter to the Philippians. The theme of joy. And uh, answering the question, what is the secret to Paul's joy in the midst of adverse circumstances? And we've talked about several things, but the simple truth is this today, is that there is joy in investing in others and then seeing them live it out. Uh, the key word this morning is others. I'm kind of a simple guy, so I've got to kind of narrow it down to one word. Others. I realize there's a pretty common acrostic for joy. The J-O-Y. You know, it's Jesus, others, you. Before the videos, I am second, Gail Sayers said, I am third, which kind of fits with the, the joy acrostic. Jesus first, others second, and then you. And I want to talk about that, the letter O at the center of joy, which is others. There were, there are two men that Paul mentions in the second chapter of Philippians uh, men that he had invested his life to one degree or another in and I want to talk about those two men the first one being Timothy the second one being not as well known Epaphroditus um, it's kind of interesting, though, we come to the second chapter of, of Philippians, and this is what he says about those two men. I'm going to read it first, and then we're going to talk for a while. Uh, Philippians 2, 19, and we're going to read to the end of that chapter, verse 30. Uh, so notice what he says about Timothy and Epaphroditus. 1 Timothy, verses 19 through 24. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state for all seek their own not the things which are Christ Jesus but you know his proven character that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel therefore I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Epaphroditus, starting in verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. <laughs> Since he was longing for you all, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, <clears throat> but also me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him to you the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he came close to death not regarding his life to supply what was lacking 
in your service toward me. Three men's stories. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. Think about, we, think about with me this morning just those three stories. Paul's story. Paul raised probably in a strict Jewish home. He rises uh, among the religious leaders of his day. He becomes a Pharisee. He is so zealous for his faith that even as we saw portrayed last Sunday as, as Saul of Tarsus, he was so zealous for his faith that he persecuted those of the sect of the way, the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. And he had them arrested and he had them put to death. Until one day, uh, Jesus encounters him on the road to Damascus in a great light. And Paul's life is changed. And all of a sudden, after Ananias comes and lays hands on him and he receives his sight, uh, Paul begins to pre preach the very message he had opposed <laughs> days before. In time, Barnabas comes and gets Paul and brings him to the church of Antioch that had a worldwide vision. And so in Acts 13, as they are praying and they are worshiping, the Holy Spirit says to them, Set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them to. And so the church lays hand on them and sends them out to take the gospel to the places where people have never heard. And they go out and it's the rest of Paul's life. He goes from town to town, village to village, and, and he preaches the gospel, and some believe, but many oppose him, and generally a church forms, but he's run out of town. One day they come to a city in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, Lystra, and there is a young man there by the name of Timothy. Surely he met him on his first time that he came through Lystra, and... Uh, we don't really find out about it until Acts 16 when they come back for the second on the second missionary journey when Paul comes back to Lystra. Uh, Luke records the story of a young man by the name of Timothy whose mother was a Jew, uh, Eunice. His grandmother's name is Lois. Uh, and Paul said that the faith started in them first. But surely Timothy came to faith in Christ through Paul's ministry. And on the second journey, Paul asked for this young man to go with him in his, tra in his travels. And what I want you to get is, Timothy, when we read the book of Acts and we read Paul's letters, Timothy stays with Paul to the very end. And when you read Acts, Timothy's there. And so they, they leave Lystra. And they go to Troas, Timothy's there. They go to Macedonia, and so Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. They go into Greece, and so they come to Athens. They come to Corinth. Timothy's there. He's with there. He's spending time with him. He's traveling with him. He's, he's like his personal assistant. And he's hearing the gospel, and he's involving himself in the ministry. In time, Paul begins to send him to the churches that he's formed to help them grow and to be established. And so you see this in Paul's writings that he will send Timothy. But I, I get this picture for all of these years from the time of that second missionary journey when, when Timothy starts with him until Paul dies. Timothy is there with him. 
he's either traveling with him or he has been sent on a mission by Paul. And so at some point later on in their travels, generally the third missionary journey in Ephesus, Paul sends Timothy back to Macedonia. He sends him back to Greece and he revisits those churches. Eventually Timothy ends up in... uh, in Jerusalem with Paul and Paul is arrested and Paul is eventually taken to Rome. Timothy goes with him and when Paul is writing the Philippians from prison, he basically says in verse 1, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. No, Timothy is there. Eventually, as the story unfolds, Paul is released from his first imprisonment in Rome. We know from the the letters that Paul and and Timothy end back up in Ephesus. At some point, Paul is arrested again and is in Rome. And Timothy has stayed, surely assigned by Paul, in Ephesus to establish the church. And the last two letters that Paul writes before his death, some 12 years after he and Timothy have been connected he, he writes first and second Timothy and I'm struck by second Timothy 2 2 it's a scripture we quote sometimes but you have to understand then if first Timothy comes first and second Timothy comes second second Timothy are the last words that Paul writes and he says to the the young man Timothy And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now this is like a father to a son saying, you know what I've taught you. Now behind Paul's words, what he's saying is the day's going to come and it's very likely I'm not going to make it. I'm going to be gone. And I want you to know, here's what I need you to do. The things that I have committed to you in all of those 12 years that I've invested my life in you and I've taught you Jesus and I've showed you how to lead people and establishing churches, the things that you have learned from me, you commit these to others because, Timothy, I'm telling you, someday you're going to be gone too. And it's only going to be the people that you've invested your life in that will continue the cause. And I think of those final words that Paul writes in 2 Timothy in the fourth chapter. Strangely enough, I'm reading my Bible through this year. What's my New Testament scripture this morning? 2 Timothy 4. And Paul says right at the end, he says to Timothy, and do your uttermost to come to me before winter. We don't know. Did Timothy make it? We don't know. But we do know that Paul, shortly after that, was beheaded by the Roman government. That's the story of Paul. That's the story of Timothy. As Paul and Timothy traveled and they came to the city of Philippi, even though it's not recorded in Acts, There is another young man, Epaphroditus, of Philippi. Well, you know, Timothy is the most 
Timothy is mentioned more in Paul's writings and in the book of Acts than any other person related to Paul. Timothy is always there. Epaphroditus is only mentioned in the letter to the Philippians. In chapter 4, verse 18, it says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. There came a point after Paul had established the church in Philippi, had come back and had sent Timothy that Paul is arrested, he ends up in prison. This is the first imprisonment. And he, he's going to write a letter to the Philippians. And uh, he sends the letter with a man from the Philippians, Epaphroditus. So our letter that we have here, they didn't have the postal service people. Paul writes this letter and he hands it to Epaphroditus because Epaphroditus has been a messenger from that church to come and to help Paul, I think in two ways. He brought a financial gift from the Philippians. And that he also came to serve Paul's needs while he was under house arrest in prison. And you can kind of read in the story that we've read that Epaphroditus becomes sick. And there comes a point where Paul says basically he needs to go back home. And so he writes the letter of joy from prison. And he hands it to Epaphroditus and he sends him home. It's kind of interesting that when you read Paul's letters, it's very odd that Paul would have these personal discussions about people and travel plans in chapter 2. In, I guess in every other case, in Paul's letters, he comes to the end of his letters and he says, Hey, I want you to know, uh, hey, greet so-and-so from me. You know, there's a, there's a church in their house. And uh, I want you to know that so-and-so came to see me. And, and the people that are here, they send greetings to you. And, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And they talk about people and places and, and the plans at the end of the letter. But in Philippians chapter 2, all of a sudden he begins to talk about these things. And he talks in chapter 2 about Timothy and Epaphroditus. There's a reason for that. Because when Paul talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus, he's not just talking about travel plans or who's carrying the letter or when Timothy's going to come or when he's going to come. He's talking about men who are living out what he has been teaching them. You've got to get this. Timothy and Epaphroditus are examples of what Paul has been teaching them in the first chapter and a half. What did he talk about? He talked about being a bondservant. Someone who said, I have become a slave of Jesus Christ and my whole life is dictated by my master and what he tells me to do. And now I'm living out a life of obedience in whatever Jesus calls. It doesn't matter what the cost is to my life. I will live for his cause. And you know, and, and, and later in chapter 2, he, he begins to talk about let nothing be done. And Brother Cody preached a couple weeks on these verses. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each, others, uh, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. 
And he's, and he's talking about living out the gospel, being a bondservant of Jesus Christ, giving your life for the cause and living out for that and not being focused focused on yourself, but being focused on the cause about Jesus Christ and investing your life in others. And when he, and he's, Paul's talked about Jesus. And even though he was in the place of God, he emptied himself and he came in the form of a servant and taken on the form of a servant, he, he emptied himself in, in, in human flesh and he became obedient to the Father, obedient even to the point of death. And Paul is an illustration in the midst of this, but he comes to the end of chapter 2 and he said, yeah, we've got some travel plans we need to talk about, but there's two men who have lived this out. And you know why they'd lived it out? Because Paul had invested his life in them. And quite honestly, more, more so Timothy than surely Epaphroditus because Paul had, well, at this point, about 10 years that he had spent with Timothy. But Epaphroditus had been in jail with him at least for some period of time. And Paul had invested in him. And these were men that were now living it out. This is what he says about Timothy in verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. That's what he did. He, either Timothy was with him or he was sent on a mission. And so Paul's just saying, I'm going to send Timothy to you as soon as I can. Uh, and notice what he says in verse 19. That I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Now this is a little bit odd and you've got to get this as you read these scriptures. Paul said, this is really going to help me out to take the, my right-hand man who's taking care of my needs and send him to you because I am so focused on you. I want to know how things are going. And if I can send Timothy, he will bring me back where I'll feel so much better. I'm thinking, all right, well, that's, all right, that's, a, that's a unique spin or perspective on life. I'm going to take the one who's here for my encouragement and I'm going to send him to you because my heart is for you and I need to know how things are going. And so I want to send Timothy to you. So he talks about these plans, but he talks about Timothy's character. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Why can Paul talk about Timothy's character like this? Why was Timothy like that? Because Paul was like that. And Paul had spent 10 years of his life side by side with Timothy. Paul had invested his life. And when you spend time with someone, eventually you, you get a heart for their character. I know you don't know my father. But I am my father's son. And the reason the way I am that I am, or whatever that phrase is supposed to be is because Ray Smith is my father and I told you the story Jesus changed his life when he was 10 Timothy was the way he was but because he had spent all that time with Paul he says in verse 23 therefore I hope to send him at once as soon as I hear 
how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Now, Paul is sending this letter with Epaphroditus. And he's in prison and he's waiting for his court date. And Paul's saying, I'm going to send Timothy to you shortly. As soon as all this transpires, we know where we're at. Then I'm going to send Timothy to you. But you notice what Paul says? And he says, but I hope to come to you also. I've thought about this quite a bit. There's a message in between the lines. That if you're not careful, you're going to miss. Paul knows that if his court case is not found in his favor, he will die. And in between the lines, what he is saying is, Timothy will be coming to see you sometime Shortly, one way or the other. I'm not so sure I will. There's a reason Paul talks about his character in Timothy coming. Do you get it? There's going to be a day that Paul is dead. And all of these churches that he's founded. Oh, Paul's dead, Paul's dead, Paul's dead. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Look to the young man that he invested his life in. Timothy will give you direction. I've invested my life in this young man. Someday I will. The implication in what Paul says is someday I'm going to be gone. But let me tell you, Timothy, the young man, he will come to you. And it's going to be all right. Because I've invested my life in him. It's amazing how Timothy lived out a concern for others, but he did so because Paul, even in this, Paul's not bellyaching about whatever. He's just saying, my primary concern is about you, and it's going to be all right. And you, hey, just, I know there's some problems in the church of Philippi. Mm, 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 mm. Just hold it down because I'm sending Timothy soon. He's coming. And you know he's my right-hand man. Paul had invested his life in Timothy. And he found joy because Timothy was living it out. In verses 25 through 30, he talks about Epaphroditus. And he also talks about his plans and his character. And he says in verse 25, the second person that is mentioned that Paul invested his life in, yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. And notice the words that he affixes with him. My brother, which means we are both Sons of God. Fellow worker, Epaphroditus, is a man of getting things done. Fellow soldier, he's been in the battle and he stands beside me. In fact, he was sent by the church of Philippi to take this gift. I am told by the commentaries I read, it was a 40-day journey from Philippi to Rome. This is not a simple process. Who's the man? Who are we going to send? Who do we trust? Who's going who's gonna to take care of Paul when he gets there? Not only be accountable for the gift that he takes, but he's going to stand there and he's going to serve. 
Paul, Epaphroditus, you the man. I think he was probably a young man. 40-day journey is not an old man's journey. That's a young man's journey. <laughs> Find the young man. You the man. It's your time, son. You know, one of those speeches from Remember the Titans or something like that. So when I was the youngest of eight children, that wasn't even true. Anyhow, I'm sorry. If you haven't seen the movie, then I'm sorry. That was just Hannah and I having a moment. We're, we're, we're finished. That moment's passed. So Epaphroditus goes. He's a brother. He's a worker. He's a soldier. He says he's my brother. Implication, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. But your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, he was the one who came. And the plan was for him to take the monetary gift but also to stay there with Paul and be the Philippian church's representative to minister to Paul whatever he needed. But Epaphroditus gets sick. And the church of Philippi hears about it. And Paul, so in verse 25, Paul says, it's necessary. Listen, this is just the way this has gone down. This is what we need to do. This is necessary. I need to send Epaphroditus back to y'all. He's sick. You've heard he's sick. He's longing for you. You're wondering how he's doing. It's better for everybody that Epaphroditus take this letter and come back to you Better for everybody except Paul. Do you notice how Paul is focused on everybody but himself? Epaphroditus was supposed to stay there and minister to Paul, but Epaphroditus is worried because the church, the church back at home and his family, they're concerned because they heard he was sick and almost died and they don't know how he's doing. And, you know, you can't just text somebody or call somebody back in the day, you know transportation slow they don't know it's better Epaphroditus if you just go they'll be relieved to see you you'll feel better seeing them and knowing that they know it's better for everybody except for Paul think about it Paul's the one who's facing death <laughs> and he's concerned about everybody else's feelings and what they need so he says in verse 26, Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. What if Epaphroditus died while he was here with me? And Wow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may, have less, may be less sorrowful. And then he says, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he came close to death not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Hold such men in esteem. Thought about that. And just like in Timothy's comments, there was a message between the lines. There is a message between the lines for Epaphroditus, the young man that was sent by the church on a mission to take a gift and to care for Paul. And now he comes back home and Paul's still in Rome in prison. I want you to understand between the lines of what Paul is saying, Paul is helping the young man Epaphroditus save face. Hmm. There may have been some in the church. Hmm. 
Oh, you're home. So Paul is out of prison? Well, no, ma'am, he's not. He's, no, uh, no, sir, we, no. Oh, I thought you were supposed to stay until all of this resolved. There may have been some who played chord in their mind and said, Oh, Epaphroditus did not fulfill his mission. And there's a reason Paul says, Listen, it was necessary that I send him. Everybody was all worked up about everything. And he needed just to get home. Do you understand that? It's kind of interesting. So Paul talks about his character and how he risked his life for his gospel. There's an interesting phrase in here in verse 30 when it says, Not regarding his life. <laughs> in fact, my Bible has a little note that says, Risking. That he had risked his life. That phrase is used in secular Greek to refer to a gambler who wagered everything on a bet. I'm all in. This is like a gambling term. I know y'all wouldn't understand this, but some... Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. All in. Everything I got, I'm putting it all my chips or whatever. I'm putting it all in, David Shaw. Don't be sitting there all self-righteous and all. I know some stories on you, son. I know they've been, they've been a while back, but that's all right. That's all right. You haven't always been a nice little church kid. And your mama's sitting right next to you. I probably know some things your mama don't know, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk this week. Yes, we will. Now, this is a gambling term of a guy that said, no, I'm all in. And Paul says Epaphroditus is a man. He put all his chips in on Jesus for the, for the gospel, for the cause, for the kingdom. I'm all in. I'm not holding anything back. I'm risking it all. He said that's the character of this man. And Paul writes these things to help him save faith because he was a, he was a worker, he was a soldier, he was a brother, he was a minister. He needed to go back and make an impact. And the reason Epaphroditus had lived that out and had done those things is because Paul had invested his life in him. Hmm. So all through the words of Paul, Paul, this is the point. Paul is focused on others. And not himself. And in the midst of it, he finds joy. Listen. Listen. There is joy in investing in others. And then seeing them live it out. If that is true, you know what the kill joy at this point is? You know what will kill your joy... If being focused on others and investing in them and seeing them lives it out will bring you joy in life, you know what will suck the joy out of your life? Being self-centered and self-consumed. Aren't we glad we don't live around anybody like that? That message is very simple, but it comes from the gospel. Yes, Jesus first, but secondly, others. There is joy in investing in others and having them live it out. Do you know what investing in others requires? I want to make this very practical. It requires time. Time. Paul spent 
12 years with Timothy. I don't know how many days, weeks, or months he spent with Epaphroditus. Do you understand that for the gospel to be passed to the next generation, that we must invest our time and our Christian faith in others? You say, who is that in my life, Brother Darrell? Well, just start at home and then move out from there. That's what my parents did. If you have little people, little yous running around the, the house, invest in them. Hmm. But let me say this. There's some of those little people that aren't going to have a mom and dad to invest in them. And I pray that there would be Christians who love Jesus enough to see them and take the time to invest in them. Because you never know what God can do with a little bit of your time and care and wisdom and your passion of what you found in Jesus. I'm going to ask us to stand this morning. Brother Shane's going to come. We're going to do something just a little bit different this morning. I want your heads to be bowed and your eyes closed. Brother Shane is going to sing. As her heads are bowed and her eyes are closed, I want you to know that investing in others starts in your life with an encounter with Jesus. It was true for Paul on the road to Damascus. It was true for Timothy when the Apostle Paul came to Lystra. It was true for Epaphroditus when Paul and Timothy came to Philippi. Each of those men had an impact on the world and invested in others because